well. Let's go ahead and uh, start with a quick review, okay? So last week, we talked about the ending of the Gospel of Mark, so that's where we are. You guys can open up to Mark chapter 16. This is our last um, message in this series in Mark. Um, as such, maybe let's just say this. I, I mean, this is always risky, but it, it assumes you've been listening somewhat. But any passage in Mark kind of have new life to it um, since since doing this series for any of you. We could even do this. Let's, let's, let's familiarize ourselves real quick. Switch back to Mark chapter 1. Go back to Mark chapter 1, okay? Let's do a quick just reacquainting ourselves with Mark. It's been a long time that we've been going through it. But verse 1 of Mark 1 begins with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of of God. And so we said last week how Mark is different than Matthew and Luke, right? He he just skips the whole narrative and jumps right into Mark. And what's kind of interesting about this is Mark is attested as being Peter's account of the gospel. Mark and Peter were buddies work together and, and, and it's believed that Mark is writing down what Peter tells him to write down. And so where did Peter kind of enter into the scene. Well, it wasn't back at the birth of Christ. It was much later on. So we kind of start later on in the story here, right? And Mark just lays out for us. Here's what I want to show you. The good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he just jumps into the story, right? Um, If you look down in, in chapter one, verses 14 and 15, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So this is like the theme verse for the whole book. Like this is what Jesus' mission is. He's here to give the kingdom of God, kick it off, repent and believe the gospel. That's how you jump in, right? And as you kind of just look at the headings there, you see Jesus calls his disciples, heals a man with an unclean spirit, heals many, preaches in Galilee, cleanses a leper, heals the paralytic, chapter 2. Okay, so you guys remember that story? That's in all the Gospels, uh, or three of them at least. Um, he calls Levi, who is Matthew. He answers some questions about fasting. He teaches that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, getting into chapter 3. Heals a man with a withered hand. A great crowd follows Jesus. And then Jesus chooses these 12 disciples. He teaches on the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus responds to his mother and brothers who think that he's crazy. And then he gets this really important parable, the parable of the sower, right? He talks about how there's different soils and different responses to the gospel. And he goes on to teach a little bit more about the kingdom of God. It's like a lamp um, under a basket. You don't hide it. It's like a seed that is growing. It's like a mustard seed. And then we have this miracle of Jesus calming the storm. And it ends with this kind of important statement from the disciples, verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? He says to the disciples, have you still no faith? So we're starting to see, you know, the big idea is faith. It's not healing. It's not casting out demons. It's faith. You need faith. And what's the opposite of faith? Fear. Fear fights against faith. And verse 41 says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So did they get faith? No. They're still filled with fear. Right? That's the ending note for the disciples. Still filled with fear. So the story goes on. Jesus heals a man with a demon. Right? Casts him into the sea. Everyone marvels at what he's done. 
Jesus heals a woman and Jairus' daughter. Okay, so he continues on this path. Um, and he keeps telling people, don't tell anybody what I'm doing. Because he doesn't want them to know what type of Messiah he is yet. Or he hasn't shown what type of Messiah he is yet. Then Jesus is rejected at Nazareth by his own people. Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. We have death of John the Baptist. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus walks on water. Jesus heals the sick at Gennesaret. And then Jesus teaches. It's a long passage on uh, traditions and commandments. Teaches on what defiles a person. Remember, it's what goes into you, not what comes out of you. Then there's this Syrophoenician woman's faith. So as, as we're going throughout the story, we're getting highlights of faith. Important people who have faith. Jesus heals a deaf man. Jesus feeds the 4,000 in chapter 8, verse 1. And then the Pharisees demand a sign. The leaven of the Pharisees inherit. Jesus heals a blind man at Bethsaida. And then we get to the super important passage, the, the crux, the center point of the book. Peter confesses who Jesus is. Jesus asks, who am I? Peter says, you are the Christ. And it's immediately, this, this kind of high, this existential high, it is followed by a low. Because Jesus says, the Messiah has to suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And Peter says, no, rebukes Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So it's a big idea here. Faith, believe in me. It's going to require suffering. It's going to require... Uh, you following in my footsteps. There's this big transfiguration next. Jesus up on a mountaintop, voice from heaven, shiny clothes, Moses, Elijah, lots of stuff going on. And, and how are the disciples responding? They're afraid. More fear, not faith. Okay? Um, they come back down. They, they heal the boy with an unclean spirit. They argue about who's the greatest. Um, uh, temptations of sin, teaching about divorce, chapter 10. We'll just fast forward here. Lots of continued misguided questions about who's the greatest, who's going to rule with Jesus. And Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem, triumphal entry, continues to teach chapter 12, the parable of tenants, grace commandment. Chapter 13 teaches on end times. Chapter 14, the plot to kill Jesus. Chapter 15, Jesus is condemned. Jesus is killed. Jesus is buried. And that's where we'll pick up chapter... 15 verse 42 when evening had come since it was the day of preparation that is the day before the sabbath joseph of arimathea a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of god took courage and went to pilate and asked for the body of jesus pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died and summoning the centurion he asked him whether he was already dead the centurion is important because in verse 39 it says when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way Jesus breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. In other words, it's been accomplished. Mark said, I'm going to show you he's the son of God. And the centurion got it. He was the son of God. So the same centurion is called in. Is he really dead? And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and uh, Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone 
uh, oh, roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, that you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that is possibly where Mark's gospel ends. You guys were here last week. What did we say about the ending of Mark? What are some possible endings to Mark? Right, so we've got a couple theories here. So one theory is that the ending was lost, right? Because you see that some manuscripts don't include verses 9 through 20. And we talked last week about why 9 through 20 really are most likely not Mark's writing. There's a lot of good evidence that Mark didn't write it. This is called the longer ending, okay? Um, There's also a shorter ending, which is in your footnotes of your Bible there probably. Um, And that only shows up in actually one manuscript of Lots and lots of manuscripts of Mark. So again, probably not original. Someone added it in there to help end the story because nobody likes to just be left hanging, right? That's why we read the next chapter in books that leave us hanging, clip fingers, you know. Um, you don't want to be left hanging, okay? And so some say, well, maybe the ending was lost, but then the last possibility is that Mark just ended it this way. Mark just stopped by saying, and they ran away from the tomb, trembling in astonishment, and seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Boom. End of the book. Well, we're going to go on the theory today that that's how Mark meant to end his book. Okay? And, and, and we're going to ask the question, why did you do that, Mark? Why would you end your book that way? Well, um... There's a couple of themes that are carried on throughout this book that are really strong. And one of the themes is this theme of denial. We see a number of people deny Christ, not just Peter, right? And you have to imagine that the theme of denial would be strong if this is Peter's story, because Peter had a very strong experience of denial. Like he's the one who's remembered forever as the one who denied Jesus three times, right? But it's not just Jesus or Peter who denied him. Who else denied Jesus when he's arrested? Everybody did, right? They all ran away. And what's really important is there's this verse. I don't know if we, I don't think we even talked about it when we read it. But when Jesus is arrested, let me read it to you. Um, it says, chapter 14, 51, it says, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Streaker. Okay? So a streaker showed up in the Gospel of Mark. That's interesting. Why? Why is there a streaker in the Gospel of Mark? First of all, he's probably in his pajamas. All right? And when a dude with a sword and a mob comes and grabs you by the pajamas, you do anything you can to get away. And so pajamas are left behind, and he is running through the woods. This is believed to be Mark. This is Mark. 
right? So the guy who's writing the story writes himself into the story for the sole purpose of saying, I was there too, and I ran away too. He wants to identify himself as a common denier of Christ. Why? Why put this theme of denial so strongly in this book? Well, I think it's because of this. We have to remember who Mark is writing to, right? Like, Mark is writing, this is not like, gee, I just think I'll sit down and write a book about Jesus. No, Mark is writing this to people. And who is he writing it to? He's writing it to people in Rome. He's writing to the church in Rome. And if you guys were here a number of weeks ago, we talked about how horrible the persecution was for the church in Rome. That it had just kind of flipped on its head overnight where there were fires throughout the city and Emperor Nero wanted a scapegoat. He most likely had set the fires himself so that he could redesign the city, so he burned it to the ground. And so he said it was the Christians who did it. And all of a sudden, overnight, massive persecution against the Christians. And I'm sure that people were being brought, and neighbors were grabbing them, you know, daggers to the throats. Are you one of those Christians who caused this? And I'm sure that there were those among them who said, nope, not me. And they denied Christ right there. And Mark is writing to this community, and he wants to identify them. He wants to say, you're not alone in your denial of Christ. You aren't. I denied him. Peter denied him. We've all denied Christ. The question is, what are you going to do next? Well, think about the message that the angel gives to these ladies, right? The message is, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He's risen. He's not there. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And I, I think it's interesting that he says, and Peter. I think one of the reasons it's interesting because I think it suggests that Peter probably wasn't with the disciples at this point. All the disciples are probably together thinking, what do we do next? But what happened to Peter? Peter's the only one who followed Jesus. He was outside at the, at the trial, right? And, and Luke tells us that after Peter denies Jesus the third time, it tells us that Jesus looked at Peter. I mean, this is a crazy scene. Like, picture this. Jesus is in this room being beaten and tried and condemned. He knows what's happening outside in the, in the courtyard with Peter. Peter denies. Jesus hears the rooster crows. He knows that his prophecy has come true. He looks What I think happened is Peter just ran to Galilee, and he just kept on running. And when he got to Galilee, he picked up his fishing nets, he hopped in his boat, and he said, well, that was a crazy three years. Back to being a fisherman. I messed it up big time. I'm going to be a fisherman now. And yet the angel says, go and tell the disciples, and Peter, that Jesus is going to meet you in Galilee, just as he said. Oh, he could have said something different, right? <laughs> Angel could have said, consider, uh, you tell those, or he could have said, tell those faithless backstabbing cowards that Jesus might deign to see them if they grovel. And they'd better grovel, right? Um, Jesus says, I'm going ahead of you into Galilee, and you better be kissing my toes when I get there, because I told you three times this was going to happen. You didn't believe me? He doesn't say that, right? The angel delivers Jesus' message. I'm going ahead of you. I want to see you. I'll be waiting for you. 
I want you back. That's what he says to the group of men who've all deserted him. Well, can you imagine how the disciples must have felt when they heard this? I mean, imagine how Peter must have felt. He, he what? He wants to meet us? He wants us back? Can you imagine how the persecuted church in Rome must have felt? Knowing that they had denied Christ in the face of persecution, and yet Jesus said to those who denied him, I'm going ahead of you. Meet me in Galilee. I want you back. Well, we can probably relate with that, right? I don't know. You've denied Christ. Uh, do you live daily as a faithful follower of Christ in whatever community God has put you in? Or are there times when you shy away from it? When you take that cross on your necklace and you stuff it inside your shirt? Are there times when people say, you're not like one of those people, are you? And you say, oh, no, not me. I'm not like them. Or we just deny Christ by the way we live. All right, we say we're Christian, but we live unchristian lives. We treat one another not the way that we ought to treat one another. Right? People see us, they'd never know that we were a Christian based on the way we act. Do we deny Christ by our uh, actions? Well, if we do, Jesus says the same thing to you. He says, I see you. I've gone ahead of you. I want you back. Well, um, there's a second theme that goes throughout this book, and that is the theme of fear and trembling. It happens all throughout the book, um, and, and some very key places, like at the calming of the storm out um, on the Sea of Galilee. They respond with fear and trembling. And when Jesus performs a miracle, there is astonishment that seizes them. And so it's not surprising that we would hear for these women that they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. It, it sounds like Mark, okay? It sounds like the way Mark tells the story. Um, but we have to ask why. Why does Mark tell the story that way? Well, 20 different times Mark describes people reacting to his mir Jesus' miracles with amazement, astonishment, and fear. 20 times. That's a lot. So why should it be any different at the resurrection, the most amazing miracle, the most astonishing miracle of them all? The dead man has come back to life just as he said he would. Why wouldn't there be fear and amazement? It's something that's beyond human comprehension. It's beyond awesome. It's beyond frightening. And so we, we before we kind of get at why ending this way, we should ask ourselves, do we have fear and amazement at the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? We ought to be amazed. And, and I know it's hard growing up in the church, being a Christian, going to Awana, hearing this from day one. Sometimes we need to have the things that we know so well kicked up again in our hearts to see, no way, that's amazing. That's really amazing. Not only is it amazing, it's historically reliable. We talked about this last week, that, that there's eyewitness accounts. That history, 2,000 years of history, has never been able to disprove that Jesus rose from the dead. It's amazing that there's this unexplainable movement that came out of ancient Palestine 
of people, Jews, who worshipped one God alone, who didn't even write the name of God in their scriptures, they replaced it with another name, such was their reverence for this one God, that Jews started worshipping a dude as God. That's amazing. It doesn't happen unless something amazing has happened to cause it. So we too, we ought to be amazed. We ought to be amazed that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. And we might even need to be a little bit afraid. We might need to be a little bit afraid of the fact that if he really did rise from the dead, then what he said he was accomplishing really was accomplished. That there really is genuinely the wrath of God on each and every one of us that we need to be forgiven of, that we need to repent and believe. Otherwise, we're not in the kingdom. That there really is a kingdom of God and God really did send the king to rescue us. And if we are not following the king, that we're going to be found on the outside of the kingdom. That has great implications. Not just for today and how we live today, but for eternity. And if that doesn't cause a little bit of fear and trembling in your heart, then I'm not sure you understood it. You didn't listen. So we, like the women, ought to have amazement and fear and trembling, just like they did. But what about the silence? What are we supposed to do with the fact that Mark says, they were afraid, end of story. Why would he do that? Mark leaves us with a blank page. And I think he does it on purpose, personally. I think he does it on purpose because the implication is that you are supposed to fill it. You are supposed to write the next chapter of the story. Look at all the people who have denied Christ. Look at all the people who have responded in fear and amazement of Christ. Mark leaves us hanging with fear and amazement and denial so that we can wrestle with the question, what about us? How am I going to respond to this news? And that's what he wanted the Roman church to wrestle with, I think. He wanted them to wrestle with the fact that the next chapter is still being written in the kingdom of God. That the end of the gospel is not the end of the kingdom of God. It's not the end of the story. You are the next chapter in the story of Jesus Christ coming to save the world and establishing the kingdom of God. And the question is, are you going to respond in fear or are you going to respond in faith? Are you going to deny Christ? Again, perhaps you've done it before. Or are you going to go to Galilee, this metaphorical place where Christ is waiting for you. Waiting for you to come saying, I want you back. I want you in my kingdom. I know you denied me, and I still want you back. Well, I think Jesus is still waiting there for you. He's waiting there for each one of us. Christ can still be found today. He has still gone ahead of us. He is not out of reach. He wants each one of us to respond in faith to swallow the fear of what will happen to us and what we will give up if we choose to follow him and to choose faith. Because he wants us back and he wants to save us. 
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are a good God, and this is a good book. And the way Mark tells the book is a good ending. Because it reminds us that it's not just a textbook. It's not just a story. It's not just facts to be memorized, to be regurgitated, to win Bible trivia or get Awana stars. That in fact it's an ongoing story. And that we are written into it. And that the invitations and the promises that are contained within this story are available to us today, now. And you are awaiting our response. You are waiting in Galilee to see, will we come back to you? Lord, I don't know what's being kicked up in these guys' hearts right now. I imagine that for some of us, there's doubt, wondering if it's really true. Some of us, Satan is drawing to mind all the sins and reasons why we're not worthy. Lord, I pray that your spirit would conquer those. You would help us to see that in the example of Mark, who ran away naked, and Peter, who denied you three times, we're no lower, we're no different. That your invitation to them, which was incredible and gracious and loving and amazing, is extended to us today. Help us, Lord, to take it, to respond in faith and not in fear. In Jesus' name, amen.